2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 20. Again, I was hoping to tell you guys that we were going to finish the book today, but we're going to get really close. If you've been with us, you know that this letter, this second book of Corinthians, is Paul's letter of defense against some detractors who had come in and they had gained a foothold in Corinth. These guys were legalists. They were Judaizers. They, were, they would follow Paul wherever he went and cause trouble for him and basically say, well, Paul, he's a good guy, but he's not a real apostle. He doesn't have all these qualifications. So listen to us, and we'll tell you about how all of these things you need to do to be saved. Whereas Paul's ministry was, all you need is Jesus. You need a relationship with my Savior, my King, and he will save you. These guys, they've used every carnal weapon at their disposal to take that foothold that they got in Corinth and turn it into a stronghold for legalism. Well, since chapter 10, if you've been with us, Paul took the gloves off. He's been uh, spending a lot of time on a lot of different issues, but by the time he gets to chapter 10, he's like, all right, the gloves are coming off. And today, as he closes or gets close to closing this uh, book, There's just one thing I think really that he wants to get through to these Corinthians, particularly these false apostles who've come in. See if you can figure out with me the message he's trying to get to these guys. Look at chapter 12, verse 20. It begins, For I fear lest when I come. Now look at verse 21. Lest when I come again. Now look at chapter 13, verse 1. This will be the third time I am coming to you. And the end of verse 2, that if I come again, I will not spare. What do you think he's trying to get at? I'm coming. The, 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 message, the title of the message this morning is, Ready or Not, Here I Come. All throughout this text, Paul is essentially saying that. Look, ready or not, I am coming. I'm coming to visit you, and how my visit goes will be determined by you. You Corinthians are going to determine whether I will come in comfort or confrontation. Whether I come with joy or in judgment. Whether I come in delight or in discipline. I've got a few phrases in here that that I just use because I'm goofy. But Paul says, when I show up, this is how I want it to be. But when I show up, this is how I fear it will be. When I show up, this is how I'm prepared to be if I need to be this way. So I suggest when I show up, you be prepared too. We're going to see a lot of Paul showing up. First, we want to see Paul's heart, his desire for his visit. The thing that he actually wants to do, when I show up, I want to build you up. Look with me, just back a few words from from chapter 12, verse 20. Look at the end of verse 19. He says, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. When I show up, what I want to do is build you up. Now actually go to the end of our text this morning, chapter 13, verse 10. They're they're like bookends. He says, verse 10, therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me, what? For edification and not for destruction. Paul says, look, when I show up, I want to build up. I don't want to tear you down. Now, that's really good information. You need to catalog that in your head and and have it ready because Paul is going to use some pretty ominous language here. Keep this in mind this morning. Paul wants to use his authority, which is rightly given to him by God, to build them up, not to tear them down. 
But Paul says, well, here's the problem. Here's what I fear. What I fear is that when I show up, I want to build you up. What's going to actually happen is when I show up, there will be a showdown. Look at verse 20. He says, for I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Let me give you a few different translations there. The New Living Translation, he says, for I am afraid that when I come, I won't like what I find, and you won't like my response. Let me give you the Family Living Translation. If your room is not cleaned up by the time I get home, (laughs) I won't be happy. And if I'm not happy, you won't be happy. (laughs) Let me give you the new mother's translation. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. (laughs) That's what Paul's basically saying here. That's the, the, the scene that he's painting. He says, when I show up, you need to have your house in order. When I show up, I want to be able to build you up, but I fear that there will be a showdown. He says, uh, middle of verse 20, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. See, under the surface, these false apostles that have been running Paul down, they, they've just been kind of working subtly. We found that a few chapters ago. Paul says, look, even an angel of light can disguise himself, or excuse me, even Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. It's been all under the surface. These guys have been jealous, but they've been working kind of deceitfully against Paul. But here at the end of uh, that, that text, it says outbursts of wrath. That word is thumos. It means a boiling over. Paul says, I want to, when I show up, I want to build you up. But here's what I fear. When I show up, there will be a showdown because of what I've written, the things I've written in this letter. These guys are finally going to boil over. See, Paul sensed that this was coming to a head. He says, I fear that when I come, I will be the spark in the powder keg that is the Corinthian church. He says, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Let me give you a breakdown of those words. Selfish ambition, interesting, it's a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. So he's saying, I think there's going to be a power play here. Backbitings, that that word is catalalia. It means defamation, evil speaking. It literally means to talk down. Well, they've already been doing that with Paul. And then he says, and whisperings. That's the same thing, but it's like, okay, I don't want Paul to hear this, but, right? It's a secret slandering. And also he says conceits. That word is physio. I love that because it's like an onomatopoeia. It means to... uh, be conceited or to uh, be puffed up with pride. Seal, right? Like when you blow up a balloon. And then finally he says tumults. That is an instability, a state of disorder, a disturbance, confusion, chaos. Paul's painting the picture of what he fears is going to happen. When I show up, I want to build up, but I fear a showdown. These false apostles will finally boil over. They will lobby against me through slander in public and in secret. They will run me down by building themselves up. And the result will be chaos in Corinth. Paul says, I'm afraid when I show up, it's all going to blow up. Verse 21. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you. He says, I'm afraid when I show up, God will bring me down. He will bring me low. And at this point, if you stop there, Paul's detractors probably are like, that's right, Paul. It's all going to blow up, and God is going to bring you down. You said it. 
When you show up, there will be a showdown, all right, and you will be brought down. But wait, let Paul finish, verse 21. And I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Paul says, I'm afraid that when I come, I'm going to be brought low, but not in the way you think. I'm going to be brought low because I will be mourning for many, he says, who have sinned before and not repented. This is, I want to point this out real quick. The Lord knows that we sin, right? But Paul is talking about those who sin continually, where it says the, the word practice there at the end, who have a practice, get good at it, practicing sin and have not repented. He says, I'm going to mourn for those who have sinned and have not repented of their uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness, which they have practiced. All three of those words have a sexual connotation to them. And that last word, lewdness, carries with it an idea of outrageousness, shamelessness, insolence. Basically saying, I don't care what you think, this is what I'm going to do. No shame of sin whatsoever. The pastor, Damien Kyle, has a great insight here. I wish I had thought of it, but I thought I'd better share it with you. He says, now, think about this. Who, who are the guys in the black hats in this book? The legalizers, right? The, the Judaizers. And they're the ones who have wrested control of this church. They're the ones who have made this a stronghold in Corinth. And yet right here, Paul says, in Corinth, there is rampant, unrepentant sexual sin in the camp. Now, what does that tell us? Listen, tells us that legalism does not create real holiness. See, the lure of legalism, the reason that legalism is attractive to good and godly people is because of the promise that it has, which says, I can be pure, I can be holy. But I need to tell you right here, legalism does not lead to holiness. Legalism can only lead to hypocrisy. That is an appearance of holiness that is just whitewashed tombs that Jesus talked about. Only a relationship with a holy God can make you holy. Paul says, I fear that I will mourn over this unrepentant church in Corinth. Remember, Paul has a father's heart to, to this church. We've seen that already, and we've seen it over and over again. Think about how a father mourns for a wayward son. Paul must be feeling that. But there's also, again, this ominous tone that kind of builds from here. Paul says, look, when I show up, I want to build up, but I fear a showdown. Verse, or chapter 13, verse 1. Listen to this. He says, this will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. Look at verse 1 again. This will be the third time I am coming to you. Then he says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 19. You see that it's in quotes there. He's quoting from this book, Deuteronomy 19. This, this will give you some perspective, some context here. Paul's accusers are the legalists, right? We've established that. And they were accusing him of being a false apostle. Over and over again, they're like, well, Paul's not really an apostle. He's not one of the twelve. They were accusing him of being a false apostle. We know they accused him of walking in the flesh. 
just last Thursday, they accused him of being crafty and deceitful with the church. And Paul says, back in our text, look, you guys are so into the law. There's a law I want you to be aware of before I show up. Look with me, Deuteronomy 19.15. This is where Paul's quoting from. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, they've, they've risen against Paul. Verse 17, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear. And hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. And here's a familiar verse. Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Hand for hand. Foot for foot. See, Paul quotes this. He says, hey, you might want to check out Deuteronomy 19 before I show up. He says, there are false apostles in your midst who have accused me of a lot of things. And they are very fond of the Old Testament law. Well, here's one. If someone proves to be a false witness, then let, let them suffer the fate that they intended to have inflicted on their enemy. Now, it gets more ominous. There are, there are two other Old Testament places where it talks about the need for two or three witnesses. You don't have to turn there, but Numbers 35:30 says, Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death. On the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. And then Deuteronomy 17, 6 says, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The Old Testament law is very fair. It's, it's like, look, you can't railroad somebody and then put them to death. He says, there must be at least two, preferably three witnesses. So all these references kind of have... I mean, they definitely refer to punishment, and two of them refer to death. What exactly does Paul mean here? Well, that's probably what the Corinthians were wondering, too. Turn back with me to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. These guys were familiar with the Old Testament, so you, you know they had to have been wondering. This will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. Now, if you want to look back real quick, next, the earlier chapter, chapter 12, verse 18, you'll see that Paul sent Titus and another brother to speak with these guys. So including himself, he's got three witnesses. And he's also, verse 2, he's warned them three times. Three witnesses and three warnings. Uh, verse 2, I have told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. In other words, I had Titus tell you. And now being absent, I wrote to, to those who have sinned before and to all the rest, the whole church, I'm putting you on notice that if I come again, I will not spare. Whoa. Let me give you the New Living Translation. It is, I have already warned those who have been sinning when I was there on my second visit. Now I again warn them and all others, just as I did before, that next time I will not spare them. Paul says, between my warnings in person and my warnings in the mail, you cannot say you have not been warned. That if I come again, I will not spare. Now, what in the world does this mean? I bet the Corinthians were wondering that too. Verse 3. He says, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. This is really important. If you haven't been with us, you need to know this. 
one of the accusations about Paul was that he, he wasn't really as impressive as his letters sounded. They would say, look, his, his letters are weighty. They've got a lot of weight to them, but his speech is unimpressive. They were saying, like, well, his bark is really bad, but he's got no bite. He's all bluster and no bullets. When Paul wasn't there, they were like, ooh, big, scary Paul. Have you seen him in person? He's just a little guy. They were saying stuff like, well, he's like, well, they weren't really saying this, but they're the Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. That was the kind of impression they had of Paul. And Paul says, okay, if you're offended by my weakness, never fear. When I come this third time, I will not spare. Verse 3 again, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, if you're looking for evidence who is not weak toward you but mighty in you, you want proof of the power of God in me, we can arrange that. Paul says, verse 4, I've been following my king's example, though. Look at verse 4. For though he, that is Jesus, for though my king was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. We've seen this before. Paul says, look, I know that you guys are offended because when I show up, I seem weak. He's like, who else? came in weakness. Can you think of anybody? Jesus came to this world in weakness. He came as a baby. Think about that. God could not feed himself. God could not clothe himself. He willingly came as one who was helpless. His interest into the world, he was created as a little helpless one. He, be, he came in weakness. He was born in weakness And if that wasn't strange enough, God died in weakness. God nailed to a cross at the hands of his own creation. But when he returns, there will be no weakness. We know the scriptures say he will come on a mighty charger. He will come in the clouds. The Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that this one who came in weakness will come again. They will confess confess that he is Lord. Paul says, as in all things, and we know this about Paul, as in all things, Jesus is my model. I came in weakness, but I'm coming back in strength. See, this doesn't bode well for these false apostles in, in, in Corinth. He says, I've come and gone in weakness, and I am returning again. Look at verse 4. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Again, ominous. What exactly does Paul mean here? That's what the Corinthians are wondering. Remember that Paul very often throughout this book, he's been claiming uh, spiritual fatherhood of this church. Back in in the first book, he said, look, you guys have 10,000 teachers. You've got a lot of teachers, a lot of people who are really good at expositoring the word. There you go. You've got a lot of good teachers, he said, but you've only got one father. What he meant was, I'm the one who came and told you about Jesus. He's claiming spiritual fatherhood over this church. You guys remember Bill Cosby's line that his dad told him when he was seven? Son, I'm your father. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Not that Paul would do it 
Not that he would murder someone, but God could do it. You guys remember Acts chapter 5? Ananias and Sapphira, they came in wanting to impress the whole church. Said, well, here, we're giving everything we have. And God, we talked about this a few weeks ago, God didn't need their, their land. The problem was that they lied. They basically said, hey, we want everybody here to think that we're much better than we are. And Peter said, Peter didn't kill them, but he's like, this is not good for you guys. He's like, the, the people at the back door there will carry you out, carry your dead body out because you have been hypocritical before God. See, dying because of sin is not unheard of. Well, actually, all death is because of sin, right? But in Acts chapter 5, we see an example of it. In Hebrews 10, Paul says, well, if you believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, I do. Someone says in Hebrews 10 that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That's why Paul says with me, look with me, verse 5. This is why it's so important. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Paul says, I want to keep you in the context here. He says, look, you guys have spent a lot of time examining me. You've required a full resume, a full account of my apostolic credentials. Here's an idea. Turn that microscope on your own life. I want you to see some words here in uh, verses 5, 6, and 7. It's dokemos. It means to test, to approve. Check out how many times that word in uh, its original form is. In verse 5, it's where it says test, that is dokemos. In uh, following that, it says disqualified, that is a dokemos, not approved. In verse 6, it says disqualified, not approved. And in verse 7, it says approved, which is dokemos. And at the end of verse 7, it says a dokemos, disqualified. What Paul's talking about here is back in that culture, they would approve or disapprove currency. They would uh, take out the weight, perhaps. They would figure out, okay, there's enough metal in this that it's actually real, uh, as opposed to a counterfeit. What he's talking about is a real thing versus a counterfeit thing. If it was a genuine thing, it would be called dokemos, approved. This is real. If it was counterfeit, it would be ah, dokemos. And you guys are probably beginning to sense there's a really important application here. But we're going to save that a little bit for the end. First, I want to keep you on Paul's point, And that's this. He says, if you want to see if my ministry is approved, here's a way you can do it. Examine yourself. Think about it. Your salvation, Paul says, came through the ministry that I brought. So let's see. If your salvation is real, then my ministry is real. If, on the other hand, my ministry is not real, then what does that say about your salvation? Now, of course, for us, the application is obvious. A time of self-examination. It's interesting, all of this talk about death and about examination, what does that remind you of? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where, where Paul says, look, you need to examine yourselves when you come to the communion table. He says, for, for this reason, the fact that some people don't examine themselves, many have what? Died. So this, these are ominous things. We're going to, just, just in case you didn't know, we're going to end today with communion. We've never had communion on a Sunday morning, but I think it would be really good this morning. Look at verse 7. 
He says, now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should uh, appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. Let me translate that for you. Paul says, look, don't misunderstand. I am coming and I am threatening to come and clean house. And what would that do? He says, if I came in and like five of you dropped dead, that would kind of prove my point, right? That I'm real, that this ministry is actually uh, a real. That would show my credentials. But verse 7, he's saying, look, what I'd rather have is for you to have your house in order before I get there. And then think about that. What would happen if Paul walks in and everybody's expecting, because he's written this letter, oh man, five people are going to drop dead. But he walks in, he's like, oh, looks like you guys have your house in order and nothing happens. What does that look like for Paul? Well, there he is again, all bluster, no bullets. Paul says, I would much rather have me look like a fool than have you guys perish in your sin. Paul says, I'm good with that. I'm totally good if it ends up looking that I am all bluster and no bullets. What I care about is your status with God, not my status with you, your status with God. Look at verse 8. He says, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. He's saying, look, there will be no fireworks in Corinth if you are standing in truth. But if you are standing against the truth, then God will provide everything necessary to take you down. Paul's basically saying, look, I'd rather come and be a teddy bear than a grizzly bear. Look at verse 9. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. See, you see Paul's heart here, right? There's a lot of ominous language here, but he started and he ended by saying, look, I'm not interested in coming and showing the power that God has truly given me. I don't know if you remember, but uh, Paul ran into this guy named Alemus, and Alemus was in the way. He He was muddling up the work that God wanted to do, and Alemus ended up blind, right? We know that Ananias and Sapphira died. There's two ways that you can die. You can die because you've finished the work that God has for you, or you can die because you're in the way. Paul says, I don't want you to die that second way. I want you to die that first way. He says, the reason I'm writing this really ominous letter is that you might have your house in order. Now, we're going to finish that thought that this this uh, book on thursday and we're going to do, do a review but i want to close with this for you guys we can cl- we can read this this passage uh, by the way we're not going to have any applications so to speak as, as we usually do you can read through this passage and you can go man those corinthians they better get it together i mean that guy is serious you can, we can go through this and go, man, I'm so glad that Paul didn't write that to us. How would we feel if Paul wrote this, if Paul was living today, right, on this earth and said, look, I'm coming. You better have your house in order because I am coming. And he says there are people who have not repented of their sins. I'm coming. Ready or not, here I come. We can actually be really glad that Paul didn't write that to us, but you guys probably see the parallel coming, don't you? The parallel is obvious. There is another who came in weakness. 
there is another who is coming again at an appointed time. And we don't know when. And he says the same thing to every soul in this room this morning. Ready or not, here I come. 